Hey folks, you know what? A small regret is slouching in the dentist chair thinking I should have brushed and flossed better. A big health regret is listening to your doctor and thinking I should have paid attention to nutrition when I was younger. I have that regret a lot. Better health today and when it matters most is why I take Field of Greens. Field of Greens is unlike any fruit and vegetable or green product. Field of Greens isn't watered down extracts. Field of Greens is an organic superfood. It's whole fruits and vegetables. Each fruit and vegetable was selected by doctors to support vital body functions like heart, liver, kidneys, metabolism, and of course, your immune system. And only Field of Greens is backed by a better health promise. At your next checkup, your doctor will notice your improved health or you're gonna get your money back. Don't look back and say, I should have paid attention to nutrition when I was younger. Field of Greens is a key to better health today, right now, and when it matters most. Let's get you started with 15% off and free shipping. All you got to do is visit fieldofgreens.com and use the promo code JUSTNEWS at checkout. That's promo code JUSTNEWS at fieldofgreens.com. Hello, America, and welcome to a Monday edition of John Solomon Reports, the podcast from Just the News for all of you who listened and participated and engaged in our 9-11 special this past week. Thank you so much. I had a blast doing it. It was solemn, but it was also important to remember the incredible stories that people like Bernie Carrick and and uh, Frank Siller and, and Lee Hamilton and so many of the other great guests have. Uh, this was a nation-altering event 20 years ago in a few days now, and uh, we're heading into a period where the nation could be altered again with so many things up in the air and uncertain, whether it's our security, our policy, uh, our freedoms, our liberty. Uh, and uh, I was so grateful to you and also so very grateful to PolicyGenius.com uh, for making that special possible, for uh, helping us uh, air important interviews, important information so you can learn and never forget uh, the lessons of 9-11 and policygenius.com made that possible. Remember, if you want to save money on your home and auto insurance, policygenius.com makes it simple. Go there today and they'll find a way to help you save money. They, On average, they save existing customers up to $1,250 a year. That's a lot of moolah, folks. $1,250 a year. Uh, that I'd like to save, and you should too. So go to policygenius.com and say thanks for sponsoring that special and sign up and see how much they can save you. Why not? Why not save money on car insurance and auto insurance and homeowners insurance, right? Uh, these guys have it down to a science. They're the best. So thanks again to all our good friends there. Uh, what an important weekend of specials. All right, we've got some new news to be uh, kicking around today. We're going to be talking about workers' rights. You say, well, why? What, what, what's up with workers' rights? Don't workers already have their rights? Well, inside the $3.5 trillion massive spending bill, there is fear that Senator Bernie Sanders and some of the liberal Democrats are going to slip in provisions of what is known as the PRO Act. This is a uh, piece of legislation that would really super empower unions to cripple not only companies, because it, you, they could do secondary strikes, which, by the way, are currently banned. If a union wants to protest conditions at the company where the workers are unionized, that's allowed. But if they want to force a company to stop doing business with another company that's not unionized, that is uh, been forbidden by law. Uh, and Bernie Sanders and the left want to eliminate that protection. And that not only protects companies, it also protects 
workers, workers who may not want a particular union in their company, who may not want uh, or would like to have a choice about what union to belong to or how to participate with the union. These provisions are in the bill, and uh, we're going to bring you up to speed on them from uh, with a really great expert on this. James Shirk used to work at the Heritage Foundation, was a domestic policy advisor to President Trump, and now is the director of the Center for American Freedom at the America First Policy Institute. We've had a lot of good guests on from there. That is the think tank that is preserved to, uh, committed to preserving uh, Donald Trump's uh, America First policies and growing them out into a larger doctrine for, uh, for the country to rely on for years to come. So we're going to bring in James Shirk. That is going to have a lot of news in it. Uh, you, you may not be aware of this. When you hear what it is and why it's being done, I think you're going to have a whole lot more uh, alertness. And that's why we do this podcast, to give you a, a sense of what's going on. And then we're going to bring in my good friend, Ben Weingarten. He's been doing some work as an editor at Real Clear Politics. And Real Clear Politics did something really important journalistically last week. It's a labor and love. They created two databases, one for all of the Antifa and anarchist protesters that waged violence across America in 2020, the summer and fall of 2020, and one for those who waged violence at the Capitol on January 6th. And he's going to bring us up to speed on just how uh, those uh, databases show treatment. Was everybody treated the same? Did we take two waves of violence in America and treat the defendants the same? Well, Ben Weingarten's here to answer that right after this commercial break. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. All right, folks, as promised, joining us right now is Ben Weingarten, an editor at Real Clear Politics, one of my favorite websites and a great partner with Just the News. And Ben oversaw an amazing project where they compared the treatment of those anarchists that were part of the violence in America last summer and fall with those who were part of the violence on January 6th at the Capitol and some pretty amazing findings. Ben, welcome to the show. John, thanks so much for having me. Really appreciate it. Yeah, this is a really great example of public interest journalism. No bias, no opinion, no ulterior motive. Just taking all the facts, putting them in a database and letting people see what happened on these two very violent and very memorable uh, incidents in American history. What, uh, what first, what spurred the idea? Let's get into that. Why, why did RCP take this on? Yeah, so Real Clear Investigations mission is in large part to fill the gaps that we see in largely the corporate media from the 30,000 foot perspective that we have in terms of trying to curate the best in in-depth original reporting and real journalism as opposed to opinion journalism. And with respect to the entire narrative cast by not just the corporate media, of course, but the most senior officials in government, uh, that January 6th was 
equivalent to 9-11 or the worst acts of the Civil War, Pearl Harbor and beyond, that perspective of the media is evidently not the perspective shared by a substantial portion of the country. There's polling that shows, and, and we cite this in the, in the context of this database, that indicates that large percentages of Americans, for example, believe that the January 6th Capitol riot ought to be investigated, as do large percentage of Americans believe that the 2020 summer riots following the murder of George Floyd ought to be investigated. But the way that it has been portrayed by large swaths of the political class and the media argue that there is no comparison between the two, that there is simply no equivalence between them. And so we said, look, there's, there's public interest in seeing both of these events of political violence investigated. And so what we sought to do was say, let's allow for the American people to decide by yeah. presenting a side-by-side comparison. And we also include the January 2017 inauguration riot in D.C. because it's another comp. It's a comparable that makes sense in the context of political violence, left or right, to say what are the size, scope, and nature of the acts that were perpetrated, and then have they been treated similarly in terms of the investigative efforts and the prosecutorial efforts laid out to the American people so that they can make their own decisions and evaluate whether or not uh, the hyperbolic rhetoric, I think, in many cases on an objective level, uh, really meets the merits of the cases. Such a very important thing to do. Now, this is not an easy undertaking. This isn't something that you do in 10 hours, right? It's This was a pretty tedious and uh, painstaking effort. How many folks worked on it? Uh, we had several people internally, so uh, three people largely working in the substance of the database. We had a tech team that helped build it, uh, numerous people inside as well who provided you know, substantial edits and suggestions and the like to evaluate, you know, do these comparisons make sense? Or are these the right areas that we ought to be comparing? How do you prioritize them? So a whole massive undertaking to try to distill, but then also provide the substantial detail where necessary, what were the most important points with respect to, again, the size, scope, and nature of the violence perpetrated, who was actually perpetrating the violence, and then how have those who have been prosecuted been treated during that prosecutorial process and have the investigative efforts been equal? And that obviously begs at any number of questions that readers themselves can evaluate, but it was a painstaking analysis to, to put together. No question about it, but we think and we hope a real public service. It was a public service. And we, you know, we wrote about it the second it came out late last week and uh, people have been talking about it because it is, it's literally, it's just data. It's just straightforward data and facts and people can make up their own mind. When you look at the top lines, <clears throat> when you looked at both um, the treatment of both, what are the big, um, what are the trend lines that RCP, RCI, uh, Real Clear Investigations saw in the data? Well, if you just look to the numbers, and I should state, one of the important things that we did in this project was every single fact or figure is cited with a source. And we try to go from the most authoritative sources, that is government documents and press releases and analyses to think tank sort of analyses and surveys, and then down to reportage from a whole slew of media sources. Uh, but the, the top line facts are these, really, in terms of the size, scope, and nature, we talk about the fact 
that the summer 2020 riots resulted in 15 times more injured police officers, 30 times as many arrests, and estimated damages in dollar terms. And this hasn't really been updated, this dollar terms of one to two billion dollars or up to 1300 times more costly than those of the Capitol riots. The Capitol riot had estimated damages of one and a half million dollars, the 2020-20 riots, one to two billion. And that was simply an insurance claim estimate that Axios cited based upon reporting from a couple of private data sources. But those numbers, we probably have actual numbers now. Uh, and I don't want to speculate, but it's possible that those numbers could have shifted in either direction. Uh, so in terms of just the overall mass of events that occurred, we're talking about thousands of demonstrations that occurred last summer and a substantial percentage of them. The number that's been cited is over 570 of these events involving violent acts. And obviously at the Capitol riot, you're talking about a single event and where the media gets into saying, well, but it's not sort of the the actual violence that was perpetrated or the level of it. They really get to what the impetus for it was and where the attacks occurred. And we can get into that whole analysis. And what we tried to show here was the argument is made that there is no essentially moral equivalence between what happened at the Capitol riot and the summer riots, in part because the summer riots were based on a social justice movement and the Capitol riot is based on what the corporate media has largely argued is the big lie uh, about the integrity of the 2020 election. But there's also the notion of this was an assault on democracy and such. And what we try to highlight is during the 2020 George Floyd riots as well, the impetus for some of those riots, or at least the groups behind it, uh, are not aligned with democracy or Republican government, liberty, et cetera, but they're uh, overtly anti-establishment, anti-institution, so arguably subversive elements towards the American system. And of course, you had occupations of a number of blocks in Seattle. You had the attacks, perpetual attacks for weeks at the federal courthouse in Portland. And of course, you had an attack, at least in Minnesota, right. lighting on fire of a police precinct. So we try to highlight and we try to do it in you know as rigorous and objective a fashion as we can the elements that allow for a direct apples to apples comparison as best we can to basically show that it's not a, a, a cut and dry case and that people ought to look at it with an open mind uh, and not with the political spin when they're looking at the, the facts of the case. So the one thing is the size, scope and nature and how massive really the summer 2020 violent events were relative to the Capitol riot. And then we get into something and this largely goes into reporting from from Julie Kelly and then also civil libertarians on the left as well in terms of the treatment of the Capitol rioters. And of course, federal authorities have raised rhetorically issues of sedition occurred and the like. And basically what we show is that the prosecutions uh, have largely centered on charges that are in large part glorified trespassing. And yet, of course, you have several dozen people being held in D.C. and allegedly horrible conditions, many of whom have no criminal backgrounds or very minor criminal backgrounds, and they are being treated you know, essentially on the level of something like what a terrorist would be treated as. And the authorities, of course, have called this an act of domestic terrorism. And then we raised the fact that in the summer 2020 riots, 
essentially the types of charges like the glorified trespassing charges that have been largely leveled against capital riders were almost all dismissed in mass in cities across the country. And it's only the very worst of offenders, really, who have been subjected to prosecution. And it does not appear that they have been held in the same kind of standards as those being prosecuted with respect to the capital riots. And again, we leave it to readers to to judge whether or not there's a double standard here. We 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 say we say in our write up that they may see a double standard here. We don't make that case. We don't assert our opinion here. We simply raise the facts in terms of the treatment and leave it to the readers to make their own assessment. Exactly what I think American uh, news consumers really want. They want reporters to stop telling them what to think and just give them the facts so they can make up their own mind. And this project does that so well, Ben. It's a really, really meticulously done. And the, uh, the transparency is so important. Every data can be traced to its origins, which is something we pride ourselves on here at Just the News. Uh, really a remarkable thing that you can literally click through and see the core source data, where it came from, and then begin to make your own assessments. What's the reaction been to the project thus far? You know, we haven't really seen a, a large reaction from those in the corporate media on this, probably unsurprisingly, given that in some sense this stands as a critique of the corporate media, which right. has not really done an assessment. Right before we put this out, the AP did do a report essentially trying to challenge the claim about raising issues of a potential double standard around the prosecution of capital rioters versus those during the 2020 summer riots. And we think this database largely points to some of the holes that might exist in that report. Again, we leave it to readers to make their own assessment there. But I do think a lot of people have been struck by the fact that, first of all, it's amazing that this comparison has to be done in this way, that the media has yeah. failed to do so. And then the fact that what we're trying to lay out is something that is very robust. Again, apples to apples, to your point, with heavy citation of every single point that we lay out, that, wow, what a novel concept that this is actually being done. And, of course, you know, we're talking 18 months after the summer riots and months and months after the Capitol riot. But we think this is something uh, that ought to be raised you know, in news reporting on these issues. Obviously, as the select committee unfolds, there may well be updates to this database pertaining to things that transpire and documents that are revealed uh, during the select committee as well. So we expect this to be a dynamically updated database over time as more and more information becomes available and as these prosecutions take hold and, and we see you know, what the ultimate results of those prosecutions are. Uh, but we think that this is something that ought to be you know, form part of the public record when it comes to a full accounting of these events. And we're trying to accomplish what it doesn't appear many folks, either in government or in the media, want to do, yet is something of, of major public interest. It sure is. It really is. And um, uh, bravo to you and to Real Clear Politics and to Real Clear Investigations for putting together such a public interest database. I've been thumbing through it over the last few days. And we, like I said, we've written some on it. We're going to write more on it. Uh, but a tremendous... Um, uh, data set that allows us to take a look at two momentous events in American history and how the defendants and the law enforcement have treated it. And uh, you guys have done a great job. It's a, it's a real public service. 
Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate that and would urge uh, your listeners to check it out over time. We do intend to be dynamically updating this, and uh, we hope that they find it insightful, illuminating, and and something that that helps with the public discourse as opposed to creating more acrimony. Yeah, exactly. Facts are a good thing because they're neutral, and uh, you, you certainly brought them to the table in a big way here. So, Ben, thanks again to all our good friends at Real Clear Politics, Real Clear Investigations, and uh, Congrats on a very important public service project. Thank you so much, John. Really appreciate it. All right, folks, we're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, we've got James Scherf coming here. A really important story about what's going on in Congress that could affect the relationship between employers and workers. Up next, right after this commercial break. Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with BiteClear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. BiteClear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. And as promised, a very special guest, someone who was a domestic policy advisor uh, for President Trump and is now the director of the Center for American Freedom at the America First uh, Priorities Institute, uh, or Policy Institute. Uh, we've had a lot of great folks from AFBI on here the last few weeks, and joining us right now is James Shirk, who's got some really interesting news to tell us about some of the labor law changes that Democrats are thinking about doing. James, great to have you on the show. Thank you for having me on, John. It's an honor. So first off, I always like to do when I bring someone new on the podcast, just do a little introduction so people can get a sense. So you got a chance to work as an assistant to the president in the domestic policy um, part of the White House, right, when uh, for President Trump, correct? That's right. Uh, so I had worked for the Heritage Foundation uh, for about right. a decade. And then I, after uh, the president won the election, of his domestic policy council asked me to join as a uh, special assistant president. And my main policy focus was on uh, labor policy issues as well as civil service reform. And uh, you spent uh, four years fighting for, uh, I think we did some uh, pretty good changes there for the country, uh, even though Biden is trying to roll them back as quickly as he can. Oh, that without a doubt. There's a lot of things that have been rolling back. Um, we just celebrated Labor Day not that long ago. It feels like, it feels like a mile ago, but it's only, a few, only been a week. Um, but the Democrats have a plan. This is something that Bernie Sanders has been talking about for some time called the PRO Act. And uh, you wrote a really prescient, I think, op-ed uh, recently in the Washington Examiner warning everyday workers the consequences of what Democrats were talking uh, about doing. Why don't you walk us through what's underway and how this could affect the way that workers get to deal with their employers? Uh, certainly. So the foundational premise of American labor law for the past about 75 years has been the notion of empowering workers to decide how they want to uh, relate to their employer. If you're a worker and you think joining a union is going to uh, benefit you in the workplace and you can get a better deal through a union, you are allowed to join a union. Companies can't stop you from doing that. And right. if they do, uh, you know, you've got an entire you know, government agency with thousands of employees who's going to you know, come in and beat them over the head. At the same time, if you're a worker and you don't want to join a union, you are allowed, you and your fellow employees, you get to vote, 
And if you vote against joining whatever union's trying to organize your workplace, tough cookies for that union. It has no right to represent you. It's got to earn your support. And if it can't persuade you to, uh, to vote for it in the election, you know, go home. You know, do not collect any dues. You know, do, uh, uh, do not uh, pass go uh, kind of thing. And if you're in one union and you want to you know, join a you know, different, uh, for example, there's been uh, awful corruption within the United Auto Workers, uh, where the past two presidents of the UAW were in jail for uh, basically uh, stealing from their members, uh, along with a lot of the, the union senior leadership. So if you're in a, a workplace that's currently represented by the UAW and you think that the, you know, say, the International Association of Machinists or whichever other union would be a better representative for you, you and your, your fellow workers have the right to uh, vote to dump your current union and join a new union. The principle is employee choice. Employers are the ones in the driver's seat. And if a company wants their workers not to unionize, they've got to persuade them to do that. They have to offer such attractive working conditions that the workers feel they don't need a union. And if the union wants the workers to to unionize, they've got to be able to uh, credibly offer sufficiently better working conditions that it's worth it in their minds to unionize and, and pay the dues. The problem with the PRO Act is it abandons that foundational principle. Uh, that going back, again, almost you know, 75 years, uh, you've had this principle that unions have to persuade the workers. They're not allowed to put economic pressure on the workers. Right. Back before you had what's uh, you know, uh, known as the Labor Management Relations Act, unions were allowed to do something called a secondary boycott, which is where they basically put economic pressure on a non-union uh, uh, company to unionize. Now, you can say, all right, well, what's the big deal here? I, of course, unions want a non-union company to unionize, but the issue is you're not just pressuring the company itself, you're pressuring the company's workers to join the union. So I'll give you an example of what a sort of a secondary strike might look like. You know, at uh, you know, in Detroit, uh, the United Auto Workers has you know, have organized all the, the major uh, auto companies, you know, right. Ford, GM, and Chrysler. In a secondary strike, let's say that the union wants to organize some of the parts suppliers who supply the, uh, the automakers, or they or another union are trying to organize the, the dealerships who, uh, who sell the cars. The union would threaten to go on strike unless those parts suppliers uh, agreed to uh, unionize or the dealerships agreed to unionize. What this does is it puts both the, the employer and the employees at these secondary firms in a tremendous bind. They're going to lose their biggest customer who they need to stay in business. Or, I mean, if you're a Ford dealership, right, you, yeah. you, need, you need auto you know, parts. You, 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 well, the dealerships need the cars. If right. you know, Ford is going to say, look, we can't send you any cars because you're not union and that'll lead to a strike we don't want, you're just, you're out of luck. And so these secondary uh, boycotts and strikes are enormously powerful leverage for the unions. And for the same reason, they're enormously coercive to workers. They basically allow unions to leverage the sort of uh, key companies they've organized to say anyone who does a lot of business with you has to be unionized or guess what? You can't do business. Now, Congress, again, going back to 1947, uh, before Congress had passed this man, the unions were using this, uh, this power very, very coercively. Uh, in the debates over the Labor Management Relations Act, you had a lot of you know, very pro-union senators from the Northeast, you know, senators from Pennsylvania and other states with a lot of union members saying, look, I support unions, you know, you know, as long as the, uh, you know, you know, the, the, the sun is you know, hot kind of thing. You know, right. I, I support unions. I support collective bargaining. I support striking. But in no way, shape, or form should anyone be allowed to force my constituents into a union they don't want. And the, the Senate debate and the congressional debate was filled with stories of workers being forced into unions. 
they did not support because if they didn't join the union, their employer was going to go under and they wouldn't be able to put food on the table. That kind of coercion should not be allowed. And Congress overwhelmingly said it should not be allowed. You have the Senate vote by more than uh, two to one and the House vote four to one to pass the bill and say, look, you know, you know, workers, you are the ones in the driver's seat. If a union wants to organize you, great, but they have to persuade you to vote for them. They don't get to say, you know, you lose your job unless you join our, our, our union here. And it's been a very successful uh, protection. It, it basically shut down the secondary strikes and uh, channeled uh, union organizing into secret ballot election campaigns where the workers are in control. The problem for the union movement is that they are not organizing enough new workers yeah, uh, through the secret ballot elections to replace the members that they are losing it's, when it's, unionized firms go bankrupt. It's something like what about maybe 20 years ago, 30 years ago, about a quarter of all American workers were represented by unions, and now it's 10% or less, correct? That, that's right. In the 1970s, you had, uh, give or take a few percentage points, but about 25% of the workforce uh, belonged to a union. Right now, it's down to about 10%. And unions, you know, quite understandably, would like to have more members. I mean, what, you know, at the core, they are a business offering a service to workers. And you know, what business doesn't want more customers and more income? So very understandable that they want to have more members. But under our labor laws, the way you have to do that is by persuading the workers you've got something, a product worth purchasing, that the, the union membership and the dues you pay are going to provide you with enough benefit to, you know, to be worth the cost. And they just have not been able to do that under the, the current system. And so union membership has just gradually eroded a little bit you know, year over year over year. Uh, they're, not, they're just not bringing enough workers in voluntarily to replace those at, at bankrupt union firms. And so what they're trying to do with this PRO Act is rewrite the rules to basically allow them to bring in you know, enormous numbers of workers without having to go through the current system. Right. And I, I mean, look, I, I think it would be successful and effective. Like if the only thing you want to do is maximize union membership, then allowing things like uh, you know, secondary strikes and secondary boycotts, along with you know, some of the other provisions they've uh, they put in this bill. I mean, they, they want to ban right-to-work laws so that unions can force workers to pay dues no matter what state you're in. Um, you know, these are things that would be, I think, quite effective in terms of increasing their membership and increasing the, the money coming in. But the, the question is, what is the point of labor law? Is the point to empower workers or is it to empower unions? You know, sometimes, you know, that means the same thing, but not always. Yeah. And, you know, right, if you were a worker at the United Auto Workers, uh, you might very reasonably feel that you don't like this particular union. And uh, if you're a company that the UAW is trying to organize, you, even if you wanted a union, you might very reasonably say, look, I would rather not be organized by a union uh, whose leadership has been sent to jail recently for taking bribes to negotiate sweetheart deals yeah. uh, that cut the compensation of the, the workers. I mean, literally, that's what happened. It the is. UAW was, was cutting a deal with uh, Fiat Chrysler. He was. Uh, you know, the, the union leadership was uh, taking bribes. Uh, and as a result, we're not asking for uh, you know, quite so much in terms of paying benefits for the, the Chrysler workers. Right. It doesn't take that much to say, all right, maybe that's not the union I want to join. Yeah. Uh, but if you're you're in a workplace uh, that was being hit by a secondary strike, you're, let's say you work for a, a Chrysler dealership or a, a Chrysler parts supplier. Uh, and you know, Chrysler is saying, look, we can only do business with you if you join the UAW. Then you don't really have much of a choice nope. of even joining a different union. No. And this is... I mean, look, you know, unions have done good in this country. They've done some harm. You know, no one's perfectly good or you know, perfectly bad. Uh, but 
the principle of workers being the ones to decide is what protects people from abuses. It gives you the freedom to opt out and say, look, I can do better for myself or I can do better with a different representative. Abandon that. And, you know, it's you're going to be in a very coercive environment that is not going to put workers in the driver's seat. Yeah, that's so true. There is um, such a remarkable recent uh, record of things where unions or workers might want union choice or, or want to have worker choice. You, you mentioned the UAD, uh, UAW scandal, which is pretty remarkable, the racketeering scandal that occurred there, kickbacks. And um, uh, But there's a couple other things that had to happen during the pandemic. A lot of people didn't pay attention to this, but the unions have done a really bad job managing their pensions. And so they were 80 oh, yeah. to $100 billion upside down on, on being able to guarantee the retirement that all these workers did. And so COVID-19 relief snuck that in. The Democrats snuck that in. They bailed out uh, pension funds. But pension funds have been a big problem for the multi-employer pension unions have been a big problem for unions on performance, right? They just can't seem to get them funded, right? Yeah. I mean, this has been something, let's say, again, I think a lot of you know, rank-and-file union members ought to be you know, pretty furious about is if you look at the pension funds for union officers and you know, union leaders, totally fine, perfectly funded, not in any danger whatsoever. But the, the pension funds that the unions have negotiated and uh, set up for the union rank and file, yeah. again, not every single union, but uh, many of the big ones, and especially these multi-employer pension funds, are massively insolvent. Just you know, no possible way, like some of them, like the, the Teamsters uh, Central States uh, Pension Fund with about a half million uh, you know, uh, folks in it, uh, you'd be looking at, you know, again, they, they passed a massive bailout, so that's you know, going to stretch it out. But but for this bailout, uh, you'd be looking at that pension fund uh, entirely, you know, uh, running out in, in 2025 or so. Uh, the unions have just, you know, in some cases, not yeah, universally, not all of them, but yeah. in, so in some major and important cases, uh, have left the, the membership high and dry and just uh, horribly managed these uh, these pension funds. Yeah. Uh, when the, the pension funds for the officers were, you know, in completely, you know, perfectly healthy shape the entire time, you know, all the way through. Uh, so it's it's a problem. Now, again, you know, they got a big taxpayer, or taxpayer bailout uh, through the, uh, the first uh, you know, big uh, you know, spending bill that uh, Biden's team passed. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, you know, Medicare and Social Security are also you know, not in the best you know, financial yeah. uh, shape. So how much appetite is there going to be going forward to bail out some of these union pension funds, which are providing you know, basically benefits above and beyond Social Security, when Social Security and Medicare themselves are in, in such horrible you know, financial shape? I mean, it's, it's not something uh, you should count on going forward. And uh, a lot of people were pretty concerned when it, it happened uh, as it did. I mean, we all need you know, Medicare and Social Security. That's you know that has to be the top priority, uh, not private organizations that you know, the taxpayers have no connection to. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. Really, a remarkable thing. And I want to uh, point one other story. We have this story out today, and um, the union's job is to represent the the workers' interests when they feel they've been wronged. And there is an example today where two Alaska airline flight attendants have been fired because they had religious uh, um, objections to some of the uh, gender pronoun uh, requirements of the airline. And uh, the unions refused to, according to the CEOC complaint, refused to defend these uh, uh, workers or their, uh, their, uh, their beliefs. And so you've got ideological interests sometimes dominating the union over uh, uh, the workers' interests. You've got 
pension funds that were mismanaged and put the future security of retirees into uh, jeopardy. And then you've got this significant decline in in uh, union workers. Because I think a lot of uh, workers just don't feel the unions do a good job. How does that dynamic change? Do, what do unions need to do to get themselves in a better standing? And is this Democratic legislation really just a Band-Aid to try to st- uh, f- uh, prevent uh, unions from having to make better choices? Well, I, I think that's a good way of putting it, right? I think part of the union movement's problem is, look, they, you know, broadly speaking, are going to be organizing you know, working-class Americans. Uh, but the union leadership has adopted the, you know, the cultural values of basically the, the progressive elite, and there's a huge disconnect there between you know, what working-class Americans you know, believe and uh, what many of these you know, self-styled cultural elite believe. And it's just not a terribly attractive proposition to many workers to you know, come on, you know, join an organization uh, that believes things you know, very differently uh, than, uh, than you see it and is actually going to take your, uh, your dues money and use it to fight to build a society uh, which is going to call you all sorts of nasty names and say that you have to uh, basically, you know, accede to all, uh, you know, progressive cultural policies, or you know, we'll you know, take away your ability to earn a living, and uh, you know, you cancel you. All right, it's just it's not a great sales pitch. I mean, when the UAW went into uh, you know, Tennessee to try and organize the the Chattanooga workers, uh, they were getting a lot of pushback for, hey, why'd you endorse Obama so much? I mean, you know, why do we want to join what you know, some of the workers who were not Obama fans you know, started describing as the United uh, Obama workers? Um, that you know, the unions have conflated their sort of cultural advocacy with workers' advocacy. And when you do that, you know, workers uh, who have different cultural views from the, uh, the union leadership are just not going to find it such an attractive proposition to join. I, I think the union movement would be more successful if they said, look, you know, we're a country where you know, people have a lot of different uh, beliefs and we're going to be you know, tolerant and you know, no matter what your beliefs are, we're going to represent you and you know, get you the best deal you can. And we're not going to be spending your dues on these sort of you know, political, you know, you know, cultural crusades that, you know, some of you might agree with us. Some of you might disagree with us. But, you know, our focus is on getting you a good deal. Sadly, that has not been their attitude. And you know, what you're seeing with the uh, those airline uh, workers just really illustrates the point uh, that the union, like, what are you paying dues for if they're not going to defend you when you're getting fired? I mean, that is the, they are supposed to, you know, they, they take your dues and they're supposed to defend you. And the fact that they were not willing to defend these workers because they, the union uh, took offense at their religious beliefs uh, suggests that why would anyone want to join that union unless you're, you know, completely aligned with the union culturally? Uh, I mean, what's, what's the point of paying union dues if the union's not going to protect you because they don't like you? Such an important point and uh, really a moment in American history where the relationship between workers or unions and their employers is going to be challenged. COVID-19 and these uh, vaccine requirements, there's going to be so many moments where workers are going to ask themselves, is my union inter, uh, uh, representing my interest or is it representing some ideological interest? It's going to be fascinating to see where that um, where that goes. What should we be looking for, James, in terms of where the PRO Act uh, goes? This looks like, sounds like that what they want to do is take the PRO Act and slip it under uh, the $3.5 trillion spending plan, although that seems to be in some trouble thanks to Senator Joe Manchin. What do you think um, uh, we should be watching for in the next few weeks? Well, look, that's the, uh, the $3.5 trillion question uh, right there. So the, the reason there's been so much pressure to get rid of the filibuster is because some of these uh, power plays like the PRO Act 
uh, cannot pass under the you know the Senate filibuster. They they don't have a three fifths majority necessary to uh, defeat a, a filibuster, and they know it. And so the uh, a lot of these left wing activist groups want the filibuster to go away so that they can uh, you know push these power plays you know, like this or you know turning uh, the District of Columbia into a state or packing the Supreme Court. Uh, that's you know HR one and you know basically. Uh, getting rid of all protections against election fraud, um, you know, the filibuster stands in the way of doing any of that. Uh, now, that said, it, it does seem like the filibuster is likely to stay, and the reconciliation bill is a workaround to the filibuster, where anything that can uh, get uh, you know, put in uh, to reconciliation the kitchen will sink, be... right? Exactly. Well, and so they're trying to put in the uh, kitchen sink. Bernie Sanders has said that they're going to include the PRO Act in the reconciliation bill. And it's going to be up to the Senate parliamentarian to decide if there's enough of a connection uh, to the uh, the budget and spending uh, for it to uh, to make it into the bill. And so, you know, we know they're going to try and put the, the Kinjin sink in, and then it's going to be this ruling by the Senate parliamentarian to decide what goes in and, and what does not. Uh, so I, I would hope that – I mean, let's – they're probably going to get some of the provisions in the PRO Act through. I mean, they've got these you know, pretty steep fines uh, that they're putting through there. A lot of speculation that those have a direct connection to the budget, and so those will be allowed through. The question is, you know, how much else? And we don't know the answer yet. I, I hope, obviously, that uh, some of these things, like banning right-to-work uh, bill or uh, right-to-work laws, uh, like allowing you know, secondary strikes and uh, otherwise rolling back these protections uh, for workers against union uh, coercion, I hope those don't get through, but you know, until the Senate parliamentarian rules, we're really not going to know for yeah, sure. We're not going to know. It's going to be up in the air. So that'll be uh, probably one of the most important things to watch for people who are concerned about this issue. Uh, James, how do f- uh, folks uh, follow the great work that you're doing at the Center for American Freedom? Well, if you go to AmericaFirstPolicy.com, uh, that's our, our website. Right. And we have uh, uh, pages for our uh, different uh, centers. Uh, mine, as you said, is the Center for American Freedom. Uh, there's a, a tab at the top of the page about uh, you know, our basically different issue focuses. If you click on the one that says Freedom First, uh, then uh, it, it's a drop-down menu, and there'll be uh, you know, Freedom First. And then there, right at the top, there is a link to our Center for American Freedom page with you know, all the work we've done, and uh, hopefully a link also to the uh, the op-ed that we put out uh, on this problem with these secondary strikes. Yeah, such an important issue. A lot of people don't realize some of the things that are flying below the radar that could have really profound consequences on businesses, on workers, on workers' rights. And that's why we're so grateful that you uh, you joined us today and brought us, uh, brought us up to speed on this. Well, thank you so much. And we're going to be sure to have you back on because this is a story that's not going away. The Democrats have a lot more uh, plans up their sleeve for, uh, for em- empowering unions over workers. So many, many thanks, James. All right. Thank you. All right, folks. We're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, We're going to wrap things up for the day. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana. Where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. All 
All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. Uh, and uh, thank you so much for joining us today. I really felt like James and, and Ben brought to light some really valuable, important, tangible information, stuff that you can take to the water cooler, to the dinner table, to the boardroom, to the office, and be informed, be engaged, whether it's on these labor law changes that the Democrats want to slip into the massive spending bill or in the record of treatment that January 6th defendants got versus the anarchist defendants from the summer violence of last year. Two big stories, two things are not being talked about much on uh, national news media, and that's why we exist here at Just the News, to give you stories that you might not otherwise get from reliable and trusted and factual sources, just the facts. We've got no opinion. We let you make up your mind. You just take the facts from us and decide for yourself what you want to do. Now, before we go to finish up our days today, and again, I want to thank you for listening, as always. You may have seen this last week on Just the News, but Consumer Price Index really had a burning red flag above it on Friday. 8 to 9% growth annualized. Uh, that means things are getting more and more and more and more expensive. You've got producer price index, consumer price index. Both of these are showing signs of sustained longer term for inflation. Now, the Democrats keep saying, listen, it's a temporary blip. I think Paul Krugman in the New York Times is still trying to argue, even despite all the new numbers, that this is still a blip. It's uh, sort of what a lot of the Treasury, the Treasury Secretary Yellen and others are saying, uh, but the signs are there. When you start to see inflation, 5, 6, 7, 8, 8%, 9%, as we saw in the PPI this week, um, that is a warning sign. And you start to ask yourself, well, what can you do? What can I do to prepare? How can I insulate myself so that I don't erode my savings, particularly when it comes to things like retirement and pensions and 401k? Well, my good friends at birchgoldgroup.com, Birch Gold Group, uh, B-I-R-C-H, Birch Gold Group. We have them on here often. They're real they're great economic experts too, but they are, as you know, one of the top dealers of physical precious metals in the United States, and they have a tremendous program to help you explore whether you should convert one of your qualified 401k uh, plans, your IRAs, IRAs, to gold and silver. You can do it, and, and why not, right? With inflation just continuing to grow at, at two, three, four decade highs, you got to have a plan, and these guys have that plan. How do you do it? Well, you contact Birch Gold, and you request a free info kit on how physical precious metals can be integrated into your uh, portfolio, particularly your retirement portfolio. See if diversifying into gold makes sense for you, right? Uh, this comprehensive 20-page kit, I got it, uh, reveals how gold and silver can protect your savings and how you can legally move your IRA or your qualified 401k out of the stock and bond markets and into reliable gold and silver. What a great idea. Precious metals. To get your no-cost, no-obligation kit, go to birchgold.com, B-I-R-C-H, gold.com, birchgold.com, slash just news. You know that uh, that moniker now, slash just news, right? And for a limited time, you can see how you can qualify for up to $10,000 in free precious metals on your purchase. There's zero cost, zero obligation to request this uh, toolkit. It's amazing. I read it. I love it. So all you got to do right now is go to birchgold, B-I-R-C-H, gold.com slash just news to get started on a great, great exploration of whether gold and silver makes sense for your retirement portfolio. Check it out today. You won't be disappointed. All right, folks, that wraps it up for the day. So grateful that you were 
here with us, joined with us. We've got some breaking news all throughout the day. We'll keep you posted. Uh, you've been listening to John Solomon Reports, the podcast from Just the News. You know where that is. You go there often to check it for daily headlines. We'll be back tomorrow with another edition. And until then, may God bless you and may God bless this amazing country of the United States of America as he always has.